My name's Doug. If I haven't met you, I'm one of the pastors around here. Come say hi. I'd love to get to know you. Really quick update before we get into the message. I know a lot of you are probably wondering what our plan is in light of Governor Abbott's decision from last week. And long story short, we're still working on it before we roll it out. We are not, we do not own this building. We are guests in somebody else's home. The Humane Society owns this. They're so good to us and they always kindly request that we approach this stuff as cautiously as possible. And so our, our motto moving forward will always be to err on the side of loving our neighbors while at the same time being so eager, so eager um, to one day be in here um, where I can see all of your, your beautiful faces, including your smiles. Um, so we're working on it with them, and then we'll roll it out to you. Sound good? Now to transition to what is remarkably a less emotional and triggering topic than masks, let's, let's talk about sex in this place. We're talking about sex in church today, you guys. Welcome to, to week four of Let's Talk Relationships, and we're getting real at Red Rocks today. Sex was God's idea. It was God's idea. It's an obsession of our culture and all of us in some way, shape, or form are all affected by it. Some of us are engaging in it. Some of us just think about it all the time. Some of us have been misinformed or, or hurt or abused. Some of us were exposed far too young. Some of us are trying to figure out how the heck to talk to our kids about this. Some of us, like me, have a history of pornography and sexual promiscuity. Some of us were, were taught it's bad, don't do it until you're married, but that's all we were given. Some of us have made purity an idol and some of us are just trying to stay out of other people's DMs. Long story short, we're all affected by this like crazy in our culture. So let's talk and let's get real and let's put away our traditions of keeping sex hush-hush in the Lord's house. This was God's idea, church. So let me just remind you that Jesus is both grace and truth. That is so key to remember, especially with topics like this, okay? Grace and truth. I've heard it said, truth without grace just gets mean. It really does. A lot of you have been wounded by this topic in church because you heard truth with no grace. However, grace without truth becomes meaningless. But grace and truth together is good medicine. That Jesus loves you exactly the way you walked in here today, and that's called grace. And he loves you way too much to let you walk out of here unchanged. And that's called truth. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be stuck. And that's called grace. It's not okay to stay there when Jesus has made a way. And that is called truth. Grace invites us to be free, but it's truth that actually sets us free. Do not downplay the grace of Jesus Christ to come in and murder shame and save you and redeem you and remind all of us that you never have been nor will you ever be better at sinning than God is at saving. We take grace seriously here at Red Rocks Church and you need to hear this message with that filter 
or else you'll hear something that I'm not saying, or else you'll miss the heart of God. There's an order to grace and truth. Grace comes first. I've been asking a lot of our leaders to pastor the atmosphere of grace in this room with me, because this is such a big topic, so emotional for so many. And so you need to hear this today through the filter of grace. Do not downplay grace's ability to give you a new future regardless of your past and make you a new creation right here and right now. Every breath is a second chance with God. His mercies are new every single morning. Do not downplay grace and do not downplay grace's divine dance partner, truth, which loves you and shows up and convicts us by pulling us forward, calls us out, calls us to a higher level, changes us, realigns us, and makes us more like Jesus. And truth belongs to God. Truth is, I love that it belongs to God. It means it's a solid foundation to stand on. When everything about our culture is shaking and quaking, truth is a North Star that cares about you finding your way. Truth belongs to God. Yet in our culture, we let, and with sex, we let people define what they did not make. God made sex, and so regardless of reality TV and regardless of porn websites and regardless of what your friends say or what schools teach and regardless of how you were raised, regardless of how you feel, can we just let God be our standard of truth for the next few moments in church today? All in this together. So turn to your neighbor right now and say, you can handle the truth you can handle it and then turn to your other neighbor your second choice for whatever reason and say to them give them the title of my message say neighbor what you need today is some sexy vision welcome to red rocks church this is the title of the sermon sexy vision by the way this is the same 4k tony vertical screen jesus used to preach the sermon on the mount We've got it right here at Red Rocks Church. My gosh, we better pray before we do anything else today. God, we love you so much. I thank you for a church to call home. I thank you for an atmosphere of grace that is already in this place. I pray away guilt and condemnation in Jesus' name. Life is too short and too good to waste it with nonsense like that. I pray for every soul under the sound of my voice right now, that you would give us a bigger, better vision for love, for marriage, and for sex than what the world offers. Your vision, God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Okay, Genesis 25, starting in verse 21. Do you guys remember Father Abraham? from Sunday school who had many sons, that father Abraham. His first son was Isaac, okay? So here we go. Genesis 25, starting in verse 21. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So pray for your spouse, pray for your future spouse. Apparently, God likes that. 
Skip to 24. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out, I love that God was like, yeah, put this detail in there. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. That's Hebrew for Chewbacca. It might be. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. So Esau is this hairy, manly man, outdoorsy, clearly red, wild at heart, right? And Jacob is the very first mama's boy that history ever records. True story. Isaac, Papa Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, he loved Esau, but Mama Rebecca loved Jacob. Parents picked favorites in the Old Testament. It never works out well. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished, and he said to his little brother Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. But Jacob replied, okay, first, sell me your birthright. Now pause. As the oldest son, Esau had a birthright that made him heir to father Abraham's blessing, okay? So God blessed Abraham and said, I'm gonna make you a father of a great nation. Your descendants will be more than the stars in the sky. Everything you do will thrive. This was the birthright that Abraham passed on to his son Isaac, who was going to pass it on to Esau. Esau essentially was given everything from God, okay? The ultimate promise, the ultimate future, the ultimate destiny until... His little brother offers him an immediate, in-the-moment fix for his hunger. A bowl of soup, just so we're all on the same page. A bowl of soup. I, I hope it was a good bowl of soup. This is what Esau says. Look, this is so dramatic. I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is my birthright to me? It's the first account of being hangry. <laughs> I'm so hungry. What is my future to me? Okay, let's, let's trade. But, but cunning Jacob says, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright, his future, his promise, his destiny, his destiny, his ultimate for an immediate to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some soup, he ate it and he drank it, and then he got up and left. So he traded God's ultimate plan for an immediate fix. Thank God none of us know what that feels like. And in case you're ever wondering if Esau later regretted it, Hebrews chapter 12, 16 and 17, watch out for the Esau syndrome. I love the Bible even has a term for it. What is the Esau syndrome? Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing back, but by then it was too late, tears or no tears. All right. All right. 
I wanna use that framework right there to talk about sex today. Trading God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good. So let's just straighten one thing out right away. Sex was not culture's idea. Sex was God's idea. Can I get an amen? We gotta acknowledge the fact that sex was the very first gift and command God ever gave humanity back in the garden. People say all the time, the Bible's just a list of rules. And okay, it's not, first and foremost, it's a story, but if you're gonna say that, at least acknowledge that the first rule is to have a lot of sex, all right? God could have solved the procreation problem another way. He could have made a baby garden that just grew babies. Babies just like sprouted up and that's where babies come from. But the God of the universe in all of his infinite wisdom, praise his name, decided to make baby making fun and squirm and giggle, but this is our God. And I see some of you just like tight booties right now, clammy hands, all embarrassed, blushing because we're talking about S-E-X in the Lord's house, but this is God's vision, church. It's just the human heart has Esau syndrome, trading away God's ultimate best for the world's immediate good. And I am so convinced the reason we do that is because we lack vision. This is not a sermon about not sinning. This is a message about not settling. When you lack vision, you will settle. When you have vision, you won't. When you lack vision, you will settle. When you have it, you won't. I wanna challenge you today. You need to get some vision for your love life. You need to get some vision for your marriage, for your future marriage, for your your sex life, your future sex life. I know this sounds weird at first, but God, the one who made it, actually has a vision for your sex life, and it is good. That's what he called it in Genesis. He made it and said, it is good. It is a good and sexy vision. It really is, and I'm gonna show you that today. Other than procreation, I think we can look at scripture and immediately see three things God designed sex to be. He designed sex to be passionate, intimate, and powerful. And so let's go through each of these one by one. How do you love these notes in church? In your color-coordinated diary, you write this down, big and bold. Sex is passionate. So back in the garden, I just picture Adam by himself, sitting on a rock, naming animals for years, just bored out of his mind. Giraffe, oh gosh, flamingo, I don't know, frog. By the way, whoever named the frog nailed it with that name. Those things are frogs. The name fits the animal, just spot on. Oh, I don't know, hawk, right? And then God observes, it's not good for this fool to be alone. It's almost like God made the male and and thought, I can do better. Sneaks up behind Adam. (laughs) Sneaks up behind Adam, divine sleeper hold, shh, shh, shh. takes a rib from his side and makes Eve. And then Adam wakes up and the first thing Adam sees is his naked wife 
This is a good day for Adam. And true story starts singing the first song in history, okay? So let's recap God's vision for sex up until this point. A husband and a wife, naked and unashamed together in an all-inclusive paradise with the command from God to have a lot of sex, okay? Sex is passionate. This does not get preached a whole lot in church. Sex is absolutely, 100%, unfortunately, a taboo topic and a pedestal sin in modern day Christianity. And a lot of us grew up beneath the weight of that. We were taught, you want to be a Christian? You got to believe in your heart, confess with your tongue, and stay a virgin. You better not be having sex until you're married. It's bad. And that's all we were, like we we were warned lust is bad, but we were never taught desire is good. And that's hard to shake. You following me? Like when you get married, then all of a sudden it's, it's good. That's a tough switch to flip. If you grew up in this oppressive, keep your questions quiet, don't be gross, don't have sex or you will get pregnant and die. But let me tell you again, church, sex was not the devil's idea. It was not. It is not secular. It is not shameful. Look at me. You were made sexual before you became sinful. Now, we pollute it and pervert it, absolutely, but the pure and beautiful idea came straight from God's divine imagination. Like, sometimes we think Satan snuck in after God made everything and whispered the idea for sex to Adam and Eve. And then God's like running errands and comes back to Eden, home from Target, sees Adam and Eve and goes, no, what do you do? Adam, get off of her, you pervert. That is not what I gave you that for, Adam. That's not what happened. It was God who said, be fruitful and multiply. It was God who said, eat and drink your fill of love. Enjoy each other. His vision for sex is passionate and it's all throughout the Bible. Here's just one verse, okay, one verse. It's PG-13. So no giggling, Ethan. Here we go. Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. I am reading the word of God. That's all I'm doing. May you ever be, what's that word? Intoxicated with her love. God wants you to have a passionate sex life. Your desire to experience pleasure and passion is not sinful. It is godly. He gave that to you. You're not shocking him. There's a whole book in the middle of the Bible called Song of Songs, and all it is is a collection of very erotic and explicit songs and poems about a husband and a wife enjoying the gifts of love and sex with each other. And by the way, it's so graphic, Hebrew boys were not allowed to read it. And so apparently, God's not a party pooper. 
who's just trying to rob all of your passion and fun from you. And apparently what you actually need is a bigger and better vision for what love and sex is than the bowls of soup the world is trying to offer you. You need to walk out of here wanting more for you because when you have a vision of the more God wants for you, you're not gonna trade it for a quick in the moment fleeting substitute for God's ultimate. This was his idea, you guys. He wants your fun. He wants your passion more than you do, way more than what the world wants for you. Sex was made to be passionate, amen? Number two, sex is intimate. Sex is intimate. Genesis 2, 24, here we go. A man leaves his father and mother and is united. Somebody say united united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Sex was created by a creator to unite the souls of two people. In the Old Testament, this is described with the Hebrew word dod. It means the mingling of souls. I love that the mingling of souls. And in the context of marriage, that right there is absolutely amazing. Outside of the context of marriage, it is incredibly risky for obvious reasons. It can be dangerous because once your soul mingles with another, it does not just bind you physically, but spiritually as well, which is why your relationship with your boyfriend or girlfriend was never quite the same again once you had sex. It has this weird way of spiritually clouding your judgment. That's why we all have that story of that friend who got into that relationship and it became toxic and unhealthy. And it's so painfully clear and obvious obvious to everybody else in her life but her and nine times out of ten it's because they're sleeping together because contrary to popular belief sex is not just physical it is deeply deeply spiritual it is the tool like the one tool that God gives a husband and a wife to literally become one flesh, to have their souls mingle, which is why it's meant to be experienced in the context of an I'm not going anywhere kind of covenant. Now, TV shows and movies and a lot of your friends will say, relax, take a chill pill, It's just sex, it's just physical. But please, 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 you do not have to agree with me on anything else I say today. God, Jesus, faith, nothing. But do not tell me that you think sex is just physical. You have more common sense than to tell me sex is just physical. If sex is just physical, why is there so much shame attached to it? And if it's just physical, why are you so secretive about pornography? And if it's just physical, then why is it that that incident when you were a kid that wasn't even your fault, why does that still get you decades later? And why is it that women who get physically abused, why why are they 10 times more likely to report it than women who are sexually abused? It's because sex is not just physical. It is spiritual and it marks you in a deep and profound way. And in the right context, that creates soul intimacy. In the wrong context, it can create soul 
injury. And that's why we're talking about this here today. I've experienced this in my life. This is not a game. Sex is deeply intimate. And because of that, number three, sex is powerful. It's powerful, okay? So 1 Corinthians 6.18, this is what Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a sex-saturated culture, much like ours. You can picture Paul saying the same thing to us. He says this, flee from sexual immorality. So right away I'm thinking, well, that's dramatic. Flee, okay, Paul. Flee from sexual immorality. Here's what I would say. Don't call wisdom legalism. Free from, flee from sexual immorality. Why? Because it's not like other sin. It's just not. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So when I talk to people at coffee or over some Chipotle about their greatest regrets, and, and this, I do this a lot as a pastor, nobody talks about those Jeans they stole from Abercrombie or the math test they cheated on or that casino vault they robbed in Vegas with those 10 other guys. Nobody, <laughs> nobody talks about that stuff. They talk about deeper things, the things that marked their souls, that one night stand, that, that incident, that moment, that two-year sexual relationship. Why? Because those things stick. Because sex might be the most powerful thing under the sun, which is why the one who divinely designed it with great forethought gives guidelines and boundaries. He gives those not because he's trying to rob passion from you. We just saw that's not true. And not because God is this cosmic killjoy up in the sky like he gets painted as in 2021. If that's your vision of God, the healthiest thing you can do today would be to get that fictitious, that, that nonsense hatching of your own imagination version of God out of your head. That's not our, our father. If he is God, then by definition, he has nothing to gain by taking a thing from you. God is not trying to shut your party down early. He's trying to help you. This is called being a good dad. If you buy a chainsaw from Home Depot, Home Depot is gonna give you a manual with guidelines. Is that because Home Depot hates you? No, it's because they understand the power of the machine they just sold you and they care about you keeping your arms. God is good. The devil's just a great liar and twists and distorts truth to make it seem like the world's living it up right now and everybody's actually finding what they're looking for and the word Christian is synonymous with boring. The devil's a liar. Take an honest observation and inventory. The world has sexual patterns and they are working right now for nobody. For no and I wish they were. This is not my opinion, this is reality. We live in a sex-saturated yet wildly unhappy culture, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. And so let me clear up a few things that might be confusing. No, everybody's not doing it. And no, more of what you're already doing is not gonna give you what you're, what you're looking for and already not finding. And no, you don't have to do it to be sexy or desirable. And no, it's not harmless. Once again, I wish it was, but I did not make it. 
This will give you some insight into my fantastical imagination, but I, I picture the world of sexual immorality like a dark and scary forest. Everybody say, ooh. Okay, from my vantage point, oh, it looks enchanted from here. I mean, I see rainbows and butterflies and a parrot, a frog. There's Bambi drinking from streams of living water. Who would not want this, right? And every step into it, every time you go home with that guy or that girl, sleep with your boyfriend or girlfriend, every time you look at porn, every time you let your mind wander unchecked, but you do it over and over walking deeper and deeper into this forest, conforming your mind to the patterns of this world. That's why sleeping around is practicing having an affair because you're training your brain to always be looking for its next sexual partner. That's why living together before marriage can be rehearsing divorce because you're training your mind with this exit door mentality that can leave whenever you want. One step at a time, one settle at a time, one bowl of soup at a time. And before you know it, oh, it's not enchanted. Eyes up here. The grace of Jesus covers all. And shame off of you, regardless of how far you've wandered into this forest. God's love is stronger than your mistakes. You are not more powerful than his grace. Forgiveness is not fragile, church. You have a stronger and better, more powerful God than that. But consequences are also real. And you can find yourself in this forest and Jesus can meet you right here. I mean, heaven can meet you in this forest and make you brand new. And yet at the same time, it's not like Jesus sends a helicopter to lift you up and take you out. This is how you can be as a, as a human being already, but not yet. Where God looks at you and sees saved. He looks at you and because, because I believe in Jesus, his blood has paid for all of my wrongdoing. So when God looks at me now, he sees perfection, despite the fact that I'm still in the forest, despite the fact that I'm very much a work in progress, okay? So when my wife and I got married, I, she was a virgin, I was not. So this message is, is personal to me. I was the kid who didn't listen. And we both brought a lot of baggage into marriage. And like, have you ever, like, you ever wonder why there's just more and more spiritual fog in your life or why your soul seems to feel less and less whole as the years go by? It's because Paul said sexual immorality, it's not like other sin. That's why he says, flee from it and don't call wisdom legalism. I did, okay? And I can tell you from experience two things, two things. First of all, don't pretend you can walk out of this forest in 10 weeks when you spent 10 years walking in. This, is, this ain't a game, man. But number two, and more important, that with the grace of Jesus, he can make you a new creation right here 
and give you a new future regardless of your past and give you a new vision for your future sex life, for your future love life. And what was once impossible for man now becomes possible with God. And you can start to make a journey with Jesus out of this. Like every step that you take is so worth it. You wanna know why you love comeback stories? Because God loves comeback stories. I'm here to tell you, you are worth more than a few bowls of soup and the world is not as happy as it's making you think, okay? Statistics right now, not, not my opinion. I wish this wasn't true, but statistics, people who move in together before they get married end up getting divorced 73% of the time. Oh man, and I, I know the room I'm in. I know the city I'm in. I know the stories in here. I love the room I'm in right now. And I'm believing if that's your story, the very fact that you're here, I'm believing your story will not be that statistic. I really believe that. Because the fact that you're here shows you are investing into your future marriage and you want God's best for your life, whether you realize it right now or not. And I'm speaking that over you right now in Jesus' name. Your story will not be that statistic. I'm just your pastor and I love the people in this room and I have this haunting vision of strapping people into a roller coaster, knowing there's a 73% chance it's gonna crash and saying nothing. And I can't can't do that. These stats are real. This is real life. People who sleep around regularly before getting married are five to six more times likely to have an affair. Once again, I hate that. I hate that. And I'll speak that over you. That will not be your story, but you need to know the stat. Yet we, yet our culture is still preaching like, no, more of what you're already doing is gonna be the answer that you're looking for. When your soul is singing what Bono's singing, I still haven't found it. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Culture with a fire hose is feeding you more and more. And I'm telling you, you're not gonna find it. Our world is gonna keep preaching. You need to test drive the sexual relationship before you buy the car. And to me, I'm thinking, are we still, for real, with all the stats, we're still on that are you male? Is she a female? Newsflash, bro, you're compatible. It's gonna work. In fact, you're sexually compatible with 3.9 billion other people on this planet, but you don't need to go find out firsthand. Please, by all means, watch The Bachelorette, but for the love of God, do not get your sex advice from The Bachelorette. Makes for great entertainment. But when it comes to a system to create love, it's proven to fail. <laughs> Don't get your love advice from your unhappy friends. If I'm trying to get financially free, I'm not gonna take advice from my broke cousin. If I want a future of a healthy marriage to be happy and thrive, I'm not gonna take my advice from a world full of wildly unhappy people and a 50% divorce rate. That is called insanity, and I want more for my life than that. You need to walk out of here with a bigger and better vision for your love life and your marriage, your future marriage, your future sex life than that. You need a sexier vision of love than the bowls of soup the world is trying to offer you, church, amen? You need a better, sexier vision of love than that. 
And if you are, by the way, living together right now before marriage, I have to say this, I have zero judgment against you, man. I really do. Maybe you have different beliefs than me. Great. There, there are times where I, I like, I get it, you know? We are imperfect people pursuing a perfect God at this church. I tend to take the position of what the apostle Paul said, where he said, in any conversation, no matter who I'm talking to, I'm the biggest sinner in the room, saved by grace. I couldn't judge you if I wanted to. You don't have to agree with everything the lead pastor says to call this church your home. And I need to say that because a lot of you at previous churches, unfortunately, you had to agree with everything the lead pastor said to call that church. You don't, you don't have to do that here. You are allowed to be in process at Red Rocks. But if I'm talking to you right now and I'm throwing this invitation out knowing there's gonna be one couple today that takes me up on it, and here's my challenge, and here's my invitation to you. Move out, at the very least, separate rooms, stop sleeping together because first of all, I bet you anything, a lot of stuff is gonna surface as soon as you do that that will be good for you to talk about this side of your vows. But number two, get married next month. Better yet, do vows with me and Ethan and then get married after that. My invitation, if you need a pastor, I'll officiate your wedding We'll celebrate, and I'm speaking from experience here, and watch on your wedding night as sex becomes new to you all over again because the grace of Jesus is just that good. That's my invitation to you, should you choose to accept it. By the way, a quick word on vows. Um, you know the best time to get counseling? It's before you need it. I've got two counselors. One of them is right here in the front row. Sam and I, and our, like, we love marriage counseling. And so even if you're married, or if, you're, if you live together and then you got married and then you heard that stat and now you're, you're freaked out, wondering is that gonna be, like, no, come and talk to me and we'll pray away those fears in the name of Jesus. But then you come and do vows and strengthen your foundation. Why not? The best time to do counseling is before you need it. But once again, if that's you and the living together situation right now, God is not a formula, he's not. But at the same time, blessing just seems to follow obedience. It just does. And I would hate for you to miss out on 50 plus years of that because you can't sleep on the couch for 50 days. When Sam and I were dating and uh, engaged, I have so many memories of this. Driving home from her house at 2 a.m., wanting so bad to spend the night because that's, that's what I used to do. Wanting so bad to stay, and it's snowing outside, and my house is 30 minutes away. I'm exhausted, getting into my car with the music blasting so I don't fall asleep, trying to drive home, just so sexually frustrated <laughs> to get home, to take a cold shower and go to bed. If you're a 23-year-old, I'm like, God, that, that's almost cruel. It's almost cruel. But true story, some of those drives are some of my most intimate moments I've ever had with the big man upstairs. Where I just feel him impress on my heart, hey buddy, I know how hard this is. And I know you don't fully understand. 
and you won't in, in, in its entirety this side of, of heaven. But just know I'm proud of you. And just know I love you. And when you're not perfect, I, I love you. And thank you. And when it comes to God, the right way is rarely the easy way. Sexually, financially, the right way is rarely the easy way. But you've got royal blood in your veins. You're up for it. There's something wired into your soul that's actually not made for the road most traveled. So what you need more than anything, I believe this is vision. So here's the prayer to pray this week. God, what is your vision for my sex life? Once again, not a sermon about not sinning. This is a plea to not settle because God has more for you. And if you can get him to download a vision of the more he has for you, you're gonna be way less inclined to trade his ultimate best for the world's immediate good and a few bowls of soup because bowls of soup can be good if you catch my drift. I hate when, when Christians say sinning's not even fun. I'm like, you're not doing it right. <laughs> bowls of soup can be awesome and they work until they don't. God, what is, what is your vision for love? for my marriage, my future marriage? What is your vision for my sex life? We're gonna continue this conversation next week because I'm on a, I'm on a personal mission to de-taboo this topic in church. I just think it needs to be. Once again, we need to lay down our traditions of keeping this kind of stuff hush-hush in the Lord's house because this is, this is God's idea and it's everywhere in our culture and for the sake of ourselves and for our kids and for our grandkids, we need to talk about this. You guys, we do. We really need to. For those of us in this room who are brand new to faith and are hearing all of this for the very first time, for those of us in this room who, who grew up in the church and you want me to, you, you so badly want me to just stand up here and draw lines in the sand and preach about everything we stand against. For those of you in this room who get so triggered by truth because you've been hurt, no fault of your own in the past. To those of us who use God's grace cheaply to do whatever we want. To those of us who have made purity an idol from those of us who have been hurt or abused to those of us who have hurt and have abused, for the parents who maybe have dropped the ball or are trying to figure out, okay, how do I talk about this? How do I facilitate an environment or atmosphere in our home where it's taught that lust is bad but desire is good? To the kids like me who didn't listen, to those with the taboo struggles and addictions who have the desires where they show up to church and feel like they can't talk about it and they feel alone and isolated in a crowded church, welcome to Red Rocks. We are in this together, imperfect people pursuing a perfect God. There are no second-class citizens at this church. Amen. Hey, will you guys stand? We're gonna finish right here before we sing this song, As You Find Me. And I believe some chains are gonna fall off. I believe fresh, fresh vision is gonna be given during worship if you want it, if you ask for it. 
That's my challenge to you, to ask for it. One of, one of my best friends, Connor, he told me a story that recently he was at his grandparents' house and on the coffee table in the living room, there was some light reading and it was a book and the title of the book was Sex in Your Golden Years. And I love that probably because it's, it's his grandparents and not mine. But I love that because that is a couple with a vision for their love. To be 75 and still enjoying the wife of your youth, church. His vision for love is too good to trade away. And I refuse to give it up. And I refuse to settle. And I refuse to follow the patterns of this world. I refuse to let shame get the better of me. Shame is lying to you. I refuse to let my past dictate my future. I'm choosing to believe that grace is strong enough to erase my mistakes and make me a new creation right here and right now. And I'm choosing to believe that truth is for me. It's on my side. It loves me and it is beckoning me, beckoning me forward into a better future. So I'm facing forward, believing the best is yet to come, believing my wife and I will be more and more in love and still having sex one day in our golden years. Somebody for me, please amen that. Lord, let it be done in Jesus, in Jesus' name. The Bible says without vision, people perish. Without vision, people perish. And I believe the same to be true about marriages. Without vision, marriages perish. And so ask God for vision. All the single ladies in this room, let me tell you this, any guy can pursue you to get you to like him. Any guy could probably pursue you and maybe even get you to to say I do to him, but only a man of the cross will still be pursuing you like you're 25 one day when you're 65. Now maybe I'm, I'm talking to somebody, maybe you've made purity an idol though, and maybe you're waiting for perfection, and actually that man of the cross is right in front of you, and what you need to do is let go of that idol, and trust your God instinct and, and take a leap called love? I don't know who that's for, that's for somebody. All the young single guys in this room, listen, any girl can bat her eyelashes at you and make you feel like Ryan freaking Gosling in the honeymoon stage of your relationship, okay? Any girl can follow you over the mountaintop, but only a woman of the cross will still follow you 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now when it's time to walk through the valley. What you need is a sexier vision of love than what the world has to offer. What you need is a sexier vision of love than what the world has to offer. So I wanna speak that over you and I'm gonna ask all of you to close your eyes and hold, hold out your hands like this to receive. Because oftentimes the only vision that gets spoken over us is statistics, a flip of the coin, your parents' mistakes. Like, so no wonder things just get repeated. I'm gonna speak something new over you right now in Jesus' name. Your past will not be your future. Shame is lying to you right now. You are swimming in an ocean of grace. You could not escape it if you tried. Truth 
is not here to trigger you. Truth is here because it loves you. Conviction is a wonderful thing. Condemnation is what pulls you backwards. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Conviction beckons you forward into something more. The best is yet to come for your story of love that God is writing through you. Give him back the pen. Your parents' mistakes will not be yours. The world's statistics will not be your story. I'm speaking obedience and intimacy over the younger generations in this room. And I'm speaking power and passion over the older ones. I'm seeing and believing and speaking an army of marriages like lighthouses in a dark world, shining brighter and brighter to show off God's vision for love in order to inspire a world that has settled. And I'm speaking a sexier vision of love than what the world is offering you. You are so loved. You are so loved. The soup is not worth it. He has more for you and he always will. He has more for you, church, and he always will. He has more for you and he always will. Let your good dad download some good vision into your soul as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.